You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardenbaptist.org. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. That's where we're going to be in this morning. You know, on Monday night, my oldest boy went to friends to watch the football game. So me and my other boys, it's, it's like the night before school's about to start back. So it's kind of still holiday. It's like New Year's Day, but it's also like school. So they're trying to be like, hey, Dad, can we step a little bit? And they're like, how about watch the football game? And my boys really don't like NFL at all. They're like basketball fans. They're like, Dad, can we please watch it? And I'm like, you're just stalling to go to, you don't want to go to bed. And they're like, yeah, but can we watch it? So I'm like, sure. So we turn on the Bills bingo game and turn on and we're kind of staring at it for a second. And it's a very strange scene because instead of football players on the field, there's an ambulance on the field. And I immediately know like we are just tuning in when something really bad had just happened. And so we're trying to piece together what, what went wrong, what happened. Um, we're seeing that um, DeMar Hamlin, who I didn't know who that was, there's been a hit and something happened. He's on a stretcher and we can see all the players. They're on the field and you can see the look on their faces like this might not go well. Like things are not uh, at a good spot. So my kids are asking, hey dad, what happened? And I'm assuming that there was a targeting play. I'm assuming there's some really, really bad hit that happened. This is why uh, a football player would be on a stretcher. So I don't really want to show them what happened. Uh, So I'm kind of playing it off and I'm looking on YouTube trying to see this hit and I'm like, man, I don't even wanna watch this because I can imagine this is just brutal. And then I watch it and it's just a football play. Like here, DeMar just, He's actually the one that tackled the guy and just normal hit. I mean, yes, I would have probably died in that moment, but not him, right? He's perfectly capable to take that hit. And then all of a sudden gets up and you've probably seen the footage just immediately collapses. And something about watching his body just collapse on national TV looks like he just died it, w- it was an eerie feeling for me, like in my chair, just like, hey, we're going to watch a little football. And now all of a sudden we're looking at possible death. And so my kids are like, what happened? So actually I'm showing it to them because it really wasn't like a crazy hit, like nothing really that wrong, but just sort of a freak accident, freak moment where now this football player who's 24, like really good shape, makes a normal play, normal hit. And then all of a sudden he's on a stretcher in the middle of the field and it's just eerie quiet and they they sort of go to the commentators and they're like all in the room and like nobody knows what to do nobody knows what to say except for we need to pray let's pray all we can do is pray and they would kind of like try to speed the conversation well what about the we're not even talking about that we just need to pray right now all we care about is damar and how is he and is he okay and all we can do right now is pray and then you saw sort of like the whole football team like the only thing in that moment was to do what pray like everybody like collectively all the team all the coaches all the analysis like everyone on the news are like let's let's just pray instead of do news today let we just need everybody we just need to pray but what was so shocking is we sort of and my son's like test me dad are you seeing this like what's happening is, is he alive is he dead I'm like I don't know I just had this bad feeling like this is probably not going to go well but we just need to pray and what happened is in that moment 
like collectively everybody that's watching the game and then everybody who's connected anybody because all of a sudden everybody's texting and social media and like, hey, have you seen this? Have you heard this? What's happened? At least the next morning, you definitely saw it on your newsfeed. Like collectively, every person sort of uh, in, in probably the United States, we're all confronted with the reality that death is coming. Like everyone, we're all mortal. We're all gonna die. If a 24-year-old top of his shape football player can all of a sudden go from life is good to I might die, everybody sort of took a gasp and thought about our own mortality, our own death. In other words, if he could well be close to death, then so could we. And and this is what the writer of Ecclesiastes in chapter 9, he's going to take us to sort of that same spot. Hey, here's the deal. Um, We're all going to die. Death is actually coming for you. Now, praise God, uh, Damar Hamlin, like God showed up and answered prayer and he's doing good. He's on the way to recovery, so praise God. But it was a moment this whole week where we have all grappled with, we are going to die. And in face of death, as we look at death, how do we respond to that? How do we respond to our own death that is coming? Well, Solomon would want us to look at our own death And in looking at death, he wants us us to snatch life from the jaws of death. And so you think about that that wordplay, snatching life from the jaws of death. We get that from uh, you snatch victory from the jaws of death. And that's sort of like a, a sports term, meaning that... There's no way you're going to win. Like you're, you're, you're out. Uh, it's impossible to win. And then all of a sudden, there's like a Hail Mary pass. All of a sudden, a last second shot. All of a sudden, a crazy comeback. And a team snatches victory from the jaws of defeat. Right? Like it's definitely going to go bad. And then all of a sudden, things turn around and it goes good. Well, that's what Solomon's going to do for us. He's going to take us to that place to see our own death. That we are doomed. We're going to die. There's nothing you can do about it. But then all of a sudden, like a last second shot in the midst of our death, we're going to snatch life from death. And we're not going to sulk about our death, but we're going to celebrate our life. Like right now, in this moment, because we're going to die, we're going to celebrate right now, today, as a gift from God, and we're going to live it to the fullest. That's what Solomon wants us to do. So let's look at our own death. I know, it's going to be a great sermon, right? Like, okay, we're all going to die. Sounds good. Point two, you're going to die. Point three, you're going to die. All right, here we go. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and stand as you learn about your death. It's going to be good today. Let's read verse 12 from chapter 9. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Father God, I pray that we would be able to contemplate that we don't know our time. That it could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be 10 years from now. We don't know, but here's what we do know. We're going to die. Death is coming. But in light of our coming death, Let us look to Jesus as our hero, and let us live life today to the fullest. We pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. You guys may be seated. So you're going to die. 
That's good, right? All right, we can only go up from here, right? Point one, you're going to die. Okay, now let's try to get some traction. But what we're going to do is we're going to grab life from the jaws of death. That yes, you're going to die, but your greatest enemy, I want it to point us to your greatest hero, who is Jesus, so that you can in death actually experience life, but not just eternal life, life right now in connection with Jesus. So first, we're going to see a few things. Um, the first thing we see when you talk about death is the problem of sovereignty. So I don't know about you, but I love the fact that God is in control of all things. Like, I love the sovereignty of God. It, it comforts me. Like, I can go to bed at night and know that I'm not in charge of the world or my life or my kid's life. God is. That brings comfort to me because I don't want to be in control because I would blow it. I would not make good decisions. Like, if, if, if the world was up to me, it'd be a really bad place. But I can rest because God is in control. So I take comfort in that. But Solomon is going to say, but God's sovereignty also poses a problem. And here's what we're just going to read his words. Here's the problem of sovereignty. Verse 1 in chapter 9 says this, But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. So all of our deeds, our very life, we are in the hand of God. That's speaking to his sovereignty, his control. He has control over your life. So, oh, that's like God's got, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got me. That's a good thought. But then he says this, whether it is love or hate, man does not know both are before him. So God has your life in his hand. All of your deeds, everything that happens to you, they're in God's hands. But he says, you know, if that's true, then we really don't know if he loves us or if he hates us. That's his conclusion. Like, if God's in control of this, I'm confused because I don't know if he likes me or doesn't like me. Because he's dealing with, like, the reality of the world. Because you've lived, like, longer than a day, and you know that life is filled with ups and downs. Right? Like, I don't know how you're, maybe this week was awesome and everything went great and it was perfect. Maybe this week was terrible for you. But that's how life goes. It's good and it's bad. You have an amazing day and the next morning you wake up to that text message that informs you about this thing that happened and then your whole week is just shot. Tragic events happen, a diagnosis, a death, something horrific happens and then all of a sudden you have that problem with, okay, God, if you're in control, if you're the one controlling this, if you're holding my life, all of a sudden I got this. So what he's saying is if, if God is in control of all things, if he's in control of your life, then here's what you can't really know if he loves you or if he hates you. Because it's a mixed bag. It's ups and it's downs. Sometimes your world is great. Sometimes it's really, really bad. So w w what's the point? So he's trying to say, hey, by looking at the world that God controls, you can't answer the question, does God love you or not? Because think about uh, providence, the thing about sovereignty, you can't really know who's righteous and unrighteous by looking at the events that happen in their life. Because good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. It's not based on like how good you are that all of a sudden you're going to get good things. Like we would think that, right? If God's in control of the world, then if I do good, I should get good. If my neighbor does bad, he should get bad. But all of a sudden I'm doing good and I'm getting bad and he's doing bad and he's getting good. So it doesn't make sense that if, that if God controls, if we're in his hand, we can't really tell if he loves us or not because guess what? 
even if you love God, bad things are going to happen to you. And the reason is because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is filled with cursed, it's a cursed and broken world. So, so you can't know if God loves you or if he hates you based on the circumstances that happen to you. You know how you tell if God loves you or not? You look at the cross of Christ. In other words, you don't look at the world and say, how's my life going? Does God love me? You look at the cross of Christ and the cross of Christ tells you God loves you. Despite what happens to you, despite how your career's going or your relationships are going or the size of your house, God loves you because he's demonstrated on the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So we don't ask the question, does God love me or not, but based on how the world is. We answer the question, does God love me based on the cross of Christ? And the answer is yes. God loves you. He sent Christ to die for you. And if you'll repent and believe in him, you will come under his good love. So the sovereignty of God, the problem is if God's in control, then his children should get all good things. But that's not how the world works. Because the world is not supposed to show you God's love. It's the cross of Christ is what's meant to show you how God loves. So the first problem we have is with sovereignty. The second problem we have is with death itself. And this is what Solomon wrestles with. Not only is God in control, but everyone dies. Even the good and the bad, just alike, they all die. Verse 2 says this. It is the same for all. Since the same event happens, now that same event is death. That's what happens to everybody. The same event happens, notice this, to the righteous and the wicked. So we're going to have these groups of people. There's going to be one person and then the person who contrasts that person. You have the righteous and the wicked, the good and the evil, the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is also as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. The same event happens to them all. So here's Solomon's problem with death. Not only in life should good people get good things, but often good people also get storms and catastrophes and fires and all the rest. Like, that's not how the world works. It's not if you're good, you get good. It's, it's a mixed bag because we live in a broken world. But also, death comes to everyone. Death does not discriminate. It doesn't matter if you're good or evil, if you're righteous or a rebel. It doesn't matter if you make sacrifices or not. This is the imagery of, like, religion. So those people are going to temple making sacrifices. It makes sense they should live longer and better than those who are not making sacrifices, right? If God's in control of the cosmos, the one who sacrifices should get a little benefit, but it doesn't always work like that. Like it would make sense that those of you who came to church on a Sunday morning, like rather than just going for a bike ride on a Sunday morning, be like, I don't care about church. Let's just go do whatever I want. It seems to be those of us who show up here, at least like the first part of our day, we should have longer and better lives, right? We should have a little less wrinkles. I mean, it should just, life should go better. But he says not how it happens. It doesn't matter if you go to church on Sunday or you go fishing on Sunday. It doesn't really matter. You are going to die, the same event happens to everybody, to the good and the bad, those who try hard, those who don't try at all. Death is coming. 
And so this is sort of his problem. And the reason death is coming, because there's actually a problem with humanity. He says this in verse three. Also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. So the reason we all die is because there's actually a problem with us. And the problem is our own sin. And Solomon can just see it. Like he's in charge of a kingdom. He can look out. He can see how people behave. He knows his own heart. And here's what he concludes. And when it comes to humanity, we have wicked hearts. We have maddening hearts. We do things we shouldn't. We do things we know we shouldn't do. We even tell ourselves not to do those things. And then we go and do those very things. Like we have, we have wicked hearts. So death comes to all of us. Why? Because, well, inside of us, we have wicked hearts and our wicked hearts deserve death. That's why death is coming to all of us. And that's why, by the way, we all need a redemption in Jesus Christ. Like because we have wicked hearts, we need someone to save us. And that's that great imagery. Think about Ezekiel. What's the imagery of salvation? God's going to take your heart of stone out and give you a heart of flesh. The image in the New Testament is you become a new creation. You are born again. You get a new nature like God's nature. That the redemption is God deals with our wicked, maddening heart. And by repenting and believing in Christ, we get new hearts. So his point is humanity, we are, we are wicked. We don't love the Lord. We are self-centered. Even in our goodness, it is oozing with self-centeredness. I'm doing what I want to do for my own glory, and therefore the penalty is death, and we're all going to die. That's why we need a redemption from our wicked hearts, and the redemption is found in the Lord Jesus who will rescue us by his death and resurrection. So we have the problem of humanity, we're all wicked. We need Christ. But then we're going to see there is a hope in life. So he's dealing with death. Death, is, we're all going to die. But there's actually a hope for those of us who are still alive. And it's going to be an interesting hope. Here's going to be his hope in life. At least those who are alive know they're going to die. Like that's his great hope. Hey, guess what? I've got some hope. If you're alive, here's the good news. You can understand you're going to die. Like, it doesn't sound like much hope, does it? But that's his conclusion. We're just going to read it so I can prove it. Here's what he says, verse 4. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. All right, so he's dealing with death. Now we've got living. We have life. We have hope. Okay, what is our hope? For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For, here's the reason, the living know they will die. That's our hope. That's why it's better to be alive than dead because alive people know they're going to die. He goes on, but the dead know nothing. They have no more reward for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. So it's kind of an odd hope. Hey, hey it's better to be alive. And I know life like, Seems like it's not that great because you're going to die, but it's better to be alive than to be dead. In fact, uh, when he, so it has an imagery of a dog and a lion. So in ancient days, they didn't love dogs like we love dogs. Like I've got a golden doodle named Grizzy, and she gets to get on the couch. She gets like to go anywhere in her house. Like she eats food off the table. Like it's just like she's, you know, like she's just part of our like house. You know, she gets to come in. In the ancient world, that was not true. They would get sticks. They would chase dogs off. They were not welcomed pets, okay? They despised dogs. So you don't want to be a dog. 
So he's kind of saying like, you don't want to be alive because life, man, (laughs) you're just going to die. But then he says, well, life though is better than death, just as a dog is better than a lion. Now, a lion is of course way better than a dog, but if the lion is dead, then the dog actually beats the lion. So it's better to be a living dog than a dead lion. So even though death is coming, it's better to be alive. But why? Why is it better to be alive than it is to be dead? If we're all just going to death, why not just go to death anyways? He said, well, it's better to be alive for this reason. There's hope, and the hope is that you know you're going to die. The dead don't have that knowledge. They don't know they're going to die. They're already there, and all of their memories have vanished. Everything they work for is gone. So they don't know they're going to die. So it's better for us who are living because at least we know we're going to die. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound very hopeful to me. Like, I'm like, Solomon, this is my, like, I should be happy about my life, that I'm not dead yet, and my hope is that I know that I'm going to die soon. That doesn't seem very hopeful. So why would that be his hope? Why would that be our hope? Because what he's going to try to get us to see is if we will understand our death properly, it will lead to a new kind of life. That, That if we would truly see and face our death, that from that, from knowing we're going to die, we can actually have hope in this life and we can actually live it to the fullest. And we think about just like the New Testament perspective of this. Like how good is it to be alive because we know we're going to die? Like you have that knowledge that you are going to die, but the New Testament would come in and say, and also in death, there is judgment. Hebrew says, appointed for man to die once and then comes judgment. So not only do you know we're gonna die, you're going to die, but you know there's a judgment coming. Now, you're saying, how is that hopeful? How should I be happy because I know I'm going to die, I'm going to know I'm going to be judged? Because we also know what the gospel is. We know what John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will what? Will not perish, but have everlasting life. See, we know we're going to die. We know we're going to be judged. But here's the other information that we know as New Testament people. We know that Christ swallowed up death by his death. We know that he died and rose again so that when we believe in him, we're not just going to die and that's the end, but actually in our death, it's going to be a gateway into our future. That death is not the end of our story because our greatest enemy, death, is going to show us our greatest hero who is ultimately Jesus Christ. That by believing in him, we'll pass through our death into life forever with him. So Solomon says, hey, it's hopeful to be alive because you know you're going to die. But I think Jesus will come in and say, it's really hopeful if you're alive because not only you know you're going to die, but you know the gospel that there's life past the grave in my name. So just pause and just ask the question, do you have hope in life right now? And is your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ? Like have you truly repented and believed in him so that you know that when you die, you're going to go through judgment because you've already passed through judgment at the cross of Christ and that your sins have been forgiven and that you will live with life, you will live with God forever when you die. That's a really important thing that God wants us to wrestle with this morning. Solomon kind of brings up the question, and then we answer it with the New Testament. You're alive, you know you're going to die. Do you have the Lord Jesus Christ? But then he makes a really odd transition. And the odd transition is, hey, because you're going to die, rejoice. Because you're going to die, be happy. So sort of the the application is, hey, because you're going to die, 
in light of death, enjoy your life. I mean, it kind of sounds strange, right? Hey, Solomon, you're beating the horse of we're all going to die. Hey, now that I've told you that, be really happy and joyful and go rejoice. So he's going to say, in light of your death, rejoice. In light of your death, live to the fullest. And we kind of get that, right? Like DeMar Hamlin, he's, he's probably a little bit different today, right? Like I haven't talked to him, but I've read his Twitter and he's very thankful and grateful to God in prayer. Like the roses smell a little bit different today. Why? Because maybe before it's like, well, I'm 24. I've got my whole life. And all of a sudden, wait, I might not. Every day is different. When you look at death in the eye, when you see your greatest enemy, it will lead you to your greatest hero and it will cause you to actually live your life to the fullest. So here's some applications on how to live your life to the fullest. Number one, enjoy good things. Verse seven says this, go eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments always be white, but not all be lacking on your head. So you're all going to die. Go be joyful. Like that's his transition. That's his application. In light of your death, be happy. Rejoice. In other words, grab life from the jaws of death. Knowing you're going to die, go live. Like when you eat and drink, do it with joy and a merry heart. God is approving these. I think that approval is of your joy and your merry heart in these sort of mundane things of life, like food and drink. You should be excited and rejoice. There are good things. He says, put on your white garment, put on your oil. Now that's different than sackcloth and ashes. Like if we're talking about death, Death comes with sackcloth and ashes. That's what ancient people would do. If they know they're going to die, if they're going to a funeral, they put on sackcloth and ashes. They cry a lot. They mourn a lot. He's saying, in light of your death, don't dress in your funeral attire. Go put on your party suit. Put on white. Put on a little perfume. Go and live. Be excited about life even though you know you're going to die. Enjoy good things. Have joy. Have a merry heart. And I think we push back a little bit with that because I think just unsaid, we think that religious people should be unhappy. Like if you're going to be holy, you better frown a lot. Like if you're like happy, it's got to be worldly. Like you're doing something wrong. If you're happy, you're sinful. If you're sad, then you're somehow godly. And that's not how the Bible presents life. That's not what God wants for us. God actually takes pleasure in our pleasure. He wants us to rejoice. He wants us to be happy. Say, I'm giving you good gifts. Rejoice in those good gifts. Just this week, my little girl, Evie Kate, she's wanting a bike for a while. She outgrew a little one. She's wanting a bigger one. And we had a little Christmas money, a little birthday money. So on Tuesday, I got to go up to uh, Gear Up, and I got to get her this awesome pink and purple bike that's just her size, exactly what she's been wanting. And I got to bring it home, and I got to wait for her coming from school. And she got home from school, had in the grass, hey, Havy, I got a surprise for you. And so she's like, what? I was like, come out here. She comes out, and then she sees this bike that she's been asking for for like six months. Like she, she wants it, she desires it. She sees it, her little face just lit up. She's glowing, she's smiling. She thank you, thank you. She gets on it, she rides it around. And not only is she smiling, guess who else is smiling? This guy. I'm smiling a lot. Like her joy is my joy. Her pleasure is my pleasure. She is my little girl and I'm giving her a gift and I want her to be excited and enjoy it. 
And is God not the same as our heavenly father? He's giving us good gifts. He doesn't want us to frown and moan about them. He wants us to enjoy the good things he's given us in life and rejoice over them as gifts because God takes pleasure in our pleasure. He's a good father who enjoys the smiles of his children. So go be joyful. Go be merry. Don't act like you're about to die and put on your funeral clothes. You're about to die, but go live. Enjoy every day as a gift from God. So enjoy good. Also enjoy love. Notice what he says. I love this line. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. All the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because this is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. So not only enjoy good things, but enjoy love. Enjoy the wife. Enjoy life with the wife that you've been given. So if you're married in this room, do you enjoy your marriage? Do you enjoy your spouse? Do you enjoy him? Do you enjoy her? Do you have this cultivated, loving friendship that is growing and abounding and exciting and you're enjoying life with your spouse? You're enjoying life with your husband, life, life with your wife. Because he's commanding us to, to do that because this is a portion, this is a gift. Notice it says, has given you. God has given you a spouse to what? To enjoy and to go through life with So what should we do? We should cultivate that loving friendship with our wife or our husband, that we should be paying attention to them. So so if you're married, how's your marriage going? Are you cultivating that loving friendship with your, if you need help, he wrote another book called Song of Solomon. Go read that and just go. And the fill in the blanks. This is a loving friendship that you get to have with your spouse. He's saying, hey, enjoy life with the one you love. It's one of the gifts that God has given us. Not only do we enjoy love, but we also enjoy our work. Notice what he says in verse 10. Whatever, you, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. So whatever your hand finds to do, Do it with all your might. Why? Well, because you're going to a grave, and in the grave, no more work is going to happen. No more knowledge, no more wisdom. Like, and so he's not, Sheol is not eternity. Sheol is the land of the dead. And he's really talking about like your gravestone, your tomb. At some point, we're going to put your body in a tomb, and your work is going to be disconnected from all of us. You're going to sort of end at that moment from our under the sun point of view. So because of that, Don't sulk and be like, man, I'm going to die. No, right now, do good work. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. You don't understand from a biblical point of view, work is a good thing. Work is not a bad thing. As a culture, sometimes we relegate it to like a bad thing. The whole point of work is to retire one day. Work is actually a good gift from God. Part of being human, part of being image bearers of God is to work and do good work. And he says, whatever your hand finds to do, this is not just what you get paid for. This is like all of your work, whether it's guarding or painting or cooking or housework or your job or out, whatever you find to do, do it with all your might. Actually enjoy and take pleasure in your work. See, it as a way you're imaging God. God works, so you get to work. So do it with all of your might. And the reason Solomon says to do good work is because one day you're gonna die and you're not gonna be able to work anymore. So that's his motivation. Now think about our New Testament motivation for doing good work. 
So his motivation is, hey, enjoy work because one day you're not going to be able to work anymore because you're being a tomb. I think the New Testament would say, hey, enjoy your work because it's part of your humanity's image bearer of God. And guess what? When you die, your work actually goes into the forever kingdom and you get to work for the glory of God forever. That's a bigger reason to work. And I'll just give you a little bit of scripture to back that up. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. See, Solomon would say, hey, work hard, even though it's kind of in vain. The New Testament would say work hard because it's not in vain. How is it not in vain? Because 1 Corinthians 15 is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 15 and 16, it's there's a resurrection that has happened. Jesus rose from the dead. Therefore, all of your work, it's not in vain. Because the tomb is not the end anymore. The tomb is just the beginning. And all of that work you do transfers into the new kingdom. So the work you do for the Lord, in the Lord, to the Lord, it lasts forever. So how much more should we be the people that enjoy our work? And not just our church work, not just our religious work, but all of our work. I mean, Jesus for like 30 years did work that wasn't like going and preaching and making disciples. He did work with his hands. He was a carpenter. He was a masoner. He did good work to the glory of his father. We should want to do the same thing because we're image bearers of him. And knowing that all of our work, because of the resurrection, it's not just going to die with us. It's going to last forever. So in light of your death, work hard. We should be the people that are most joyous on Mondays because we get to charge Monday's jobs. It's not mundane, it is opportunity because we get to work hard for the glory of Christ because we know, yeah, death is coming, but death is not my final say. So I'm gonna work hard for the glory of God. So again, he wants you to snatch life from the jaws of death. Yes, you're going to die, so therefore live. Don't just sulk and be mad about your death. Instead, celebrate and enjoy life as a gift that God has given you. Enjoy good things and love and work and enjoy your life. And oh, by the way, he's going to close with this, because you will die. So, (laughs) end on a good note. Verse 11, again, I saw that under the sun... The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intellect, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to all of them. For man does not know his time. Like fish, they are taken in an evil net, and like birds, they are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. So he's saying, when it comes to under the sun, when it comes to how the world is, it's broken. It's not always the fast that win the race and always the smart that like make it in life. But instead, sort of time and chance, like in time and chance, it's not negating God. It's saying those things you can't control, they just sort of happen and you can't always control everything and you can't certainly control your death. But it's like a, it's like a fish in a net. All of a sudden you're swimming, like life is good. And then all of a sudden a net comes and just, You're like, what? There's a boat? This is not good. That's how your life is. You're like a bird that all of a sudden a net just captures you. And what he's saying is it doesn't matter like whether you're smart or not. Like if you crossfit or no fit, like it it doesn't matter. Like like you're going to die, like PhD or GED, like doesn't matter. Like either one of those, guess what? You will die. Like rich or poor, you're going to die. 
Like there's nothing that you can do to insulate yourself from death. So I, I told uh, one of my buddies, I was doing a, a sermon on death. He said, oh, you got to watch this series on, on uh, Disney Plus called Limitless. And he said, it's uh, Chris Hemsworth who plays Thor. And you just got to watch it. I'm telling you, it'll fit perfect. So I'm like, okay. He's one of like, my favorite. Like, I love Thor. Like, great. So I'm like, okay, this is cool. So, so if you haven't seen or heard about Limitless, so here's uh, Chris Hemsworth who plays a god and sort of looks like one. I mean, he's like, you know, like, like he's just a buff dude, okay? So if all the guys in that, this guy's got it, like he's got it. And so here's a show where it starts out with him basically talking about his granddad who has Alzheimer's. And all of a sudden he realizes that he's gonna die. And he wants to try to live as long as he can and push death as far as away as he can. Like he wants to be limitless. He doesn't have any limits. He wants to push it away. He wants to sort of escape death. So the this, this show comes in and he hires these longevity experts, which I didn't even know these people existed, but they are people that are scientists that work with people to try to help with your longevity. They try to give you a long life and they try to get you to cheat death. How can you, in a sense, live forever? So he gets these experts and there's all these different things he has to go through. So like one killer is stress. So in order for him to fight against stress and live forever, he goes on a 900 foot building and walks across a crane which I'm just like terrified of heights. So I'm like, this is, I would just die right there. But they tell him how to control his stress so that he can live longer. One of the ways that you live longer is to shock your body. So he goes to Antarctica and swims in the Arctic Channel. Like, so he's, he's trying to escape death. One of the ways you do that is through fasting. So he fasts for like four days. And that's episode on, so I don't know anything past that, but it's still around. So, but he's trying to escape death. He's trying to live as long as he can. And by the way, he's 39 this is 40th year. I'm 39, this is my 40th year. So I'm like, kind of like, okay, this is like kind of me, which we look a lot alike. I get that a lot. Like, you know, yeah. so we have that resemblance too. But here's a guy who is like the most fit person I've ever seen in my life. Like, I won't even let Katie come in the room when I'm watching. I'm like, Katie, you know, you gotta stay in the kitchen. You can't watch this guy. No, this is not what normal people look like. Just get out. Like if anybody's in the most shape ever and not thinking about death, it's gotta be him. And you know the only thing he's thinking about? I'm gonna die. And, I, and I've gotta figure a way to escape this. So he's actually doing these crazy things to his body in order to escape death. He wants to be limitless. But even the title is ironic because he's not limitless. He's limited. I mean, he might look like a god, but he's limited. He's going to grow old and he's going to die. And in a sense, there is nothing he can do about it. He can jump in the Arctic as much as he wants. He can dangle from buildings as much as he wants. But at some point, he's going to be swimming like a little fish and a net is going to take him. Like when a 24-year-old puts on a helmet and goes on a field, he is not in any way thinking, today I might die, but that's almost what happened to Damar. It's just like we, all of a sudden, we, we can't control what we think we can control. And that's what Solomon wants us to see. He wants us to take us into the reality that you don't know your time, and that should cause you to contemplate deeper Things and it should contemplate your life and it should cause you to live it to the fullest. I mean, this has been like the whole week, right? 
I mean, we have seen bit after bit where people who weren't thinking about death, weren't thinking about the afterlife, all of a sudden when the Damar Hamlin thing happened, now everyone is thinking about death. And what's going to happen to me? Because all of a sudden we realize that we could also be on that stretcher. We could be on that field just as easy because that's how death is. It just, it just comes and we don't know it. We don't know when it's going to happen, but it could, it could come. And you know what I noticed when that moment happened and all week long? When we all sort of collectively saw our greatest enemy, which is death, at the same time, sort of everybody, believer and non-believer, turned to our greatest hero, who is God. Like it just happened and you couldn't control it. Right? Like people on ESPN, which is not a place that naturally promotes the gospel and prayer. You know what like people on ESPN were doing? They were praying. Like one coach was like, hey, I'm not going to say I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. So bow your head with me. <laughs> like, the coach was like, okay. And they're all like amening. They're praying on ESPN because what do you do when you're looking death in the face? You don't have any other resources. You're not like, well, Hobie just tries hard. No, you pray to God because God is the only one who can intervene. And then I love when we actually saw God like answer a miracle and when tomorrow woke up, and all of a sudden you could see like on like CBS and like in sports room on national TV, they would say, hey, you know what? It's like a learning church. God is good. And then everyone else say, all the time. Like on national TV, we're, oh, we're not supposed to pray anymore like in football and on, like you're supposed to not do that. All of a sudden when we saw our greatest enemy, the only place we could go collectively as a people who most of us don't believe in God anymore, it's like, we need God. That's what we need because we're going to die. And we need God to save. See, we all collectively looked at our worst enemy. It was like this Monday moment, which is a very ecclesiastical moment. Like, like this moment. Like right where Solomon wants us to get, hey, guess what? You're going to die. And there's nothing you can do about it. So in light of your greatest enemy... Look to your greatest hero, who is God. Because guess what? God has an answer for death. And the answer is his son, Jesus Christ. He sent Jesus to live the life you couldn't, to die the death you deserve. And on the cross, he was trading places. He was taking your penalty, that wicked heart that you have. He was taking that penalty on the cross and he died in your place for your sins. And guess what? He rose again on the third day, swallowing up death, getting victory over death. So that if you will trust and believe in him, if you'll turn from you and turn to Jesus and to Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior, he will give you not just life, but eternity eternal life. That if you believe you won't perish, you will live forever. That when you die physically on this planet, it will be a gateway into eternity with God. That our greatest enemy leads us to our greatest hero, who is Jesus, who swallowed up death for us. So what should we do in light of the week we've had, in light of the text that we're in? Well, number one, realize this, you are going to die. I mean, it's just the truth. Like the only 100% guarantee in life, people say, is what? That you're going to die. That's the only thing you're going to count on. You will die. So in light of that, number two, embrace 
your Savior Jesus who beat death for you. Like, because you know you're going to die, you know you're going to go through judgment, embrace Christ. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. He came to give life to those who are dead. So embrace Christ through faith. That's how you live past the grave. So if you don't know Jesus this morning, if, if you were laying on a stretcher and you didn't make it through, what would be the result for you? How is your heart in that moment? Do you know that you know Christ and that he has defeated your death so that death will only be union with God? Like, Do you know that you know the Lord? Do you have an answer for that day? Because it is coming like a net that captures a fish or like a snare that grabs a bird. You can't plan on it. It's coming. Have you embraced the Lord Jesus? And then thirdly, if you have, in light of death, live today as a gift from God. Like, put on your party suit. Like, have a smile. Rejoice. Be glad. Be happy. Enjoy life. Why? Because it's a gift and it can be gone tomorrow. So enjoy the gift you have from God as a good gift from him and give glory to him as you do it. Actually live your life. Don't sulk about your death. Celebrate life right now and the knowledge that you're going to have life forever in Christ. Like, that's what we do. Yeah, death is coming, but God has an answer for death. And the answer for death is son, Jesus Christ. So for those of us who have that answer, we should be the people that, yes, from the jaws of death, we snatch life. And we say, yeah, we're gonna die, but right now we're gonna live. And we're gonna live it to the fullest, to the glory of Christ, knowing that when we die, we get to live forever with him. So let's be those people that even though we know we're gonna die, we don't sulk on that, but instead we celebrate the life we have. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for just the gospel. We thank you that we can't have life past death. I pray that if anyone doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that they would repent and believe in the gospel. If they need help with that, we are here. We would love to talk. Don't let anybody leave here not knowing where they stand for eternity with you. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus, and we pray in his good name. Amen. You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardinbaptist.org.